welcome to the We Maple video show. Um, you know, this shows the possibility of me being cheerful, creative, and inspired, bringing on We Maple guests that I have the absolute privilege to speak with. I'm a demand uh, to be trained and developed to be a more effective video show host and to generate the courage to capture the results needed in my business, my health, and family. You can count on me as your host, to be honest, generous with compliments and acknowledgement and ask inquisitive questions to our guests, be responsive and an intentional listener. I request the viewers alignment in enjoying this episode of the We Maple Video Show. Welcome, Liz. Well, thank you. I'm very excited about the opportunity. I'm looking forward to uh, the interview. You and I have very, um, we always have very empowering conversations when we have when we talk personally so yeah yeah that's excellent and, and that's something um as we begin to roll this video show i'm working on is being conversational and not not as a, a interview a question answer question answer but to really generate that natural fulfilling you know sense of play in our conversation and something that is interesting for the viewer to watch and consume and then can also support you know what you're doing in your career with your with your book and your um your leadership um you know so working that this show can really tick a bunch of boxes all at once you know well we have you and i already have a good rapport uh if we just be ourselves and you lead the conversation. I think it'll go great. And I'm looking forward to it because we always have very inspiring conversations. You're one of those people in my world. Oh, that's that's a generous compliment. Thanks. Well, right back at you, Liz. You know, we one of the things we we've talked about is this idea of um infinite curiosity. And um, you know, you you have a science background, you were a uh difficult child, let's say inquisitive, always asking questions, avid reader. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in a religious community and attending church? Oh, wow. You asked the hard questions. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do not have anything positive to say about having attended church, except when we had the vacation Bible school every summer. I always look forward to that, but that was because we did crafts. <laughs> so um I I felt oh well as you say I I mean, it seems like I from day one I was a I was question questioning life I was an inquisitive child uh, later uh, family told me that I had been a somewhat difficult child because I just kind of uh, challenged things. I, and I just didn't, I wasn't the, the quiet child that just goes with the flow. I was curious. I wanted to know how the world worked. I wanted to, uh, I think probably even back then, I was looking somewhere in the background. It was like, I really saw that there could be a world that works for everyone. And I was born into a time when there was uh, so much discrimination, racial, uh, equal you know equal whites that kind of thing so there was a lot a lot of that going on and i probably took a stand at a very young age to train and develop myself although i didn't think of it that as that i thought of it more as um there's got to be a better way and i'm going to find it and then i went and did life i dealt with um all of the the Every, everything that was going on in the world. Um, I'm kind of um, at a loss here. Prompt me again. Oh yeah, no, I was just allowing you, creating space for you to complete your thought. And there's a few things to unpack there. I mean, church is uncomfortable, generally speaking for kids, especially because they're wearing clothes that they're not necessarily comfortable in. Uh, nice shirt, tight pants. And then at least in the Catholic church, when I grew up, like those pews are horribly uncomfortable, um, cold, wood, and then a bunch of people talking at you and you don't understand any of the words they say. So 
you know, it's not an optimal environment for a child. Um, and then to, to have them understand the concept of God and what it is to have something greater than yourself outside of yourself that you can pray to and ask for support or, you know, creator, Krishna, Buddha, whatever word you want to use, I call it God, but that infinite source, creator, power, energy, whatever it is, to have them understand that concept as a child is near impossible as well. So yeah, I can understand that experience you had. I, I know with my kids, when we attend church, the first uh, 20 minutes of, of music, they hate. They either sit with a sulky face or draw in their notebooks. But then after the 20 minutes, all the kids get to go upstairs to Sunday school and they love it. Like one of the greatest parts of the week is the way they barrel down the stairs with this huge smile on their face. They colored a picture of Jesus and they learned Genesis 1-1, God in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth and they get a lollipop. And they don't really know what they just went through or talked about, but they've connected with other kids and those kind of underlying values that the church has around community and integrity and love and family and these things, you know, they're just sort of embedded in the DNA. So um, yeah, I, it's, 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 we're active in the church and our family because of that, you know, I do believe in God and I am a spiritual person, but the organized religion and the, you know, there's some pieces to it that don't quite fit with my value system, but there's a lot that does. Right. <clears throat> well, let's see. Um, well, the, it wasn't the, the physical part wasn't, um, let's just say even as a young child offensive to me it was more that um first of all I was growing up in a you know very impoverished family we didn't we, yeah we were poor and I went to church and the the it occurred for me like I remember uh an instance where the ladies so I don't know some of the church ladies were there but you got to remember it was southern baptist and it's either you're damned if you don't or damned if you do kind of thing. And so my, I felt very uh, embarrassed about being there because I did not, first of all, I didn't fit in. Um, I was there under duress. I was forced to go. It wasn't my choice. Um, but, but I remember ladies saying, oh, there's Miss Gibson's poor little granddaughter. And I just felt so humiliated with that experience. So, and then as I got older, I saw that it was like uh, what was preached from the pulpit was not the same path that the minister was walking. And just all of these things were not, they didn't fit my value system. So, um, and it was all part of my life experience. So I, the, you know, the environment, the religious environment that I grew up in, you know, like 60, 70 years ago, is not, I'm sure that it has moved forward um, in the decades since then, just because I had an, unex, um, you know, an unpleasant experience with it. I'm not saying that it's not right for other people. It's just not necessarily right for me, not that particular, let's say flavor of religion. And by the time I was about, oh, 40-ish, I went on a kind of a, a pil pilgrimage to check out all the different religions. I I visited all uh, different and interviewed different uh, church leaders, uh, different churches. I did a lot of research. And what I finally came up with, because I thought that there would be one that would be a fit for me. And what I discovered was there wasn't really. And then I... Um, basically, I'm not saying that there is a God or there's not a God. But the God that I choose is the one that accepts me the way that I am and the way that I'm not. And that, I don't know, that might sound a little strange to very religious people, but that's, you know, I live life one day at a time and I try to, to be the biggest contribution that I can for myself and for my family and for the world. Yeah, I love that. That's very optimistic and... Um... It's interesting through language, like when we consider someone a religious person, like those words carry a lot of weight because 
just taking the word religion, there's so much that of meaning that we carry of what that means to be religious. And um, yeah, it's a word in, in our family. We don't use that word. We um, sometimes will thank for our meals and then we go on Sundays. Um, and there's certain elements like prayer um, that that we use an exercise in our family of, of what do you want to ask God for? My oldest son, he said, um, I want to pray that I have a bigger heart so that I can love more and stop telling lies. And then my middle <laughs> son, I said, I said, what do you want to pray for? And he said, a bigger house and a new car. And, and so like the prayer is like, it's interesting too, because when we first started, like we're relatively new to the church within the last couple of years, a baptized Catholic, but, you know, for many years just was formed a story that, well, this religious crap is just a way to control people. Like this Bible is just a made up lie, you know, and, and I had some experiences through plant medicine and other, um, uh, spiritual, uh, within my spiritual journey that to me, it's just undeniable that there's something more there that I don't know what it is, but, you know, AM, FM radio, you tune in and find the signal and these, these certain plant medicines unlock a connection to something that I'd never seen or experienced. And it was so profound that it's undeniable to me that there's something there. I just choose to call it God. Um, but when we started exercising prayer in our family, there, you know, if you go to McDonald's and you alter your order at whatsoever, extra toasted English muffin, it like fries their brains in there and they get make you go wait in that annoying stall and they bring your order out, you know, go park over there. And so we're waiting for the order with the kids and with my kids and um, it's taking forever. And my oldest son says, Dad, let's pray that the food comes faster. And so we all close our eyes and we're like, you know, dear God, please have... And he says, wait, dad, remember Pastor Rufus told us that if we pray for other people, it's better than if we pray to get something for ourselves. And so he says, uh, dear God, please give the people at McDonald's a healthy, happy life and have them have lots of abundance and uh, healthy, happy families. And he's going on on this prayer and I had my eyes closed and suddenly he's like, dad, look. And the dude's there with the bag of food. And like, uh, ever since then, he's like, oh, if I pray, things happen in the external world. And he's formed this belief system around prayer. A couple of days later, a sister had to poop real bad after school. We're at a red light. And he's like, dear God, have the light changed so Nixon doesn't poop her pants. And then the light changed to green. And so like, he's just, he's hooked on prayer. So yeah, <laughs> prayer is big in our family. Oh, that's, that's an extraordinary story. Thank you. Actually, thank you for having this conversation with me. I have never really ever had this conversation before. Um, I haven't given much, you know, much thought to anyone. Like I said, I live the best life that I that I can live. But I don't, I mean, um, I meditate, but I don't necessarily believe. I mean, I don't know that whether there's a God or not. Um, I, I believe in... Uh, Speaking intentionally, uh, do, doing as much for other people as possible to contribute to their well-being without uh, uh, being a do-gooder or, uh, you know, not trying to control people, but it's um, more, more collaborative, I think. But there was a, a thought I had there when you were sharing, and, and then, you know, with me, sometimes it just disappears. It comes back eventually. Um, but th that whole thing is that I, I mean, prayer is not necessarily my, it's not anything that I do. I meditate, which I guess you could consider that a form. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I lost, sorry, I lost my thought there. It's obvious that you have a different interpretation or you, you have a different, uh, let's put it this way. Um, that's something that's important to you. It's not necessarily important to me, but I think from everything that you shared that we're on the same path. We're just uh, uh, have two, two engines on our train. 
it's it's different, but we're up to the same thing. It's just your approach is diff different from my approach. And, um, and, and for me, I think that's really great. If, if that's what works for you, then absolutely. It's my, my way of, of living the life works for me. It empowers me and it doesn't make anyone else wrong. I think that was the big deal that I had with, uh, with religion, uh, back in the early days was that, uh, it was kind of this thing like my way is the only way to God. And if you're not, not doing it my way, then you're an awful person. And I don't, I don't believe that. I believe that I believe now, basically I believe, or this is okay. This is what I chose. This is, a, a something that I chose when I was about 30, I had always been, you know, being this very, uh, entrepreneurial spirit, this, um, very, I guess you could say a creative, maybe even driven person. I, I see, I could see, and I still do see visions very clearly about how something can be. And then I would try to force an outcome. And then I would get upset when it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. And at some, well, actually at the point that I did the, um, the S training, what I was able to see was that there was actually many, many, many pathways to, uh, well, let's call it God, path, pathways to God or pathways to uh, living in a, an empowered future. And so what I chose at that time was to uh, live my life as if I'm here for to learn lessons for the experience. So that kind of puts your bit into maybe uh, Buddhism or I'm not sure. I don't know that we live multiple lives or anything like that. My husband uh, believes that when we die, it's poof and that's it. Um, and that's also a possibility too. too. I really do not, um, I, don't, I don't worry about the afterlife. I'm more engaged in being here now. And enjoying, enjoying this life, being very satisfied with, uh, yeah, with enjoying the life that I have. And even at my, my age of 77, I've, I've still got so much more to do in life. Jokingly, a friend of mine uh, said, that uh, we're, we're going to be around to celebrate your 110th birthday. It's like, okay, that sounds cool. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I could die tomorrow. I'm really, really healthy, so it wouldn't be that. But the point is that I have more to do. I have much more work to do in the world. I'm not real clear about what all of it is, but there's much, much more adventure for me. Yeah, love that. And that's sort of where we lined up where we started connecting on a regular basis is in regards to your um, book and this uh, convergence, what we're seeing with artificial intelligence and <clears throat> these new tools like ChatGPT um, and others uh, and the possibility of you at 77 years old writing a book and publishing it on Amazon within 100 days. Right. Um, I'd like to say a little bit of, a little bit about writing the book. Um, when I was a teenager, which was what, about 60 years ago, uh, one, I had a couple of different things, you know, I want to do this. I want to do that. You know, when I grow up, I, one, I was going to be an architect. Didn't, didn't end up that I actually, I went into being a contractor and, and transforming, you know, existing spaces, which is was very satisfying and fulfilling for me. And then, and a contribution to the world. And the other thing is I wanted to write a book because I, I was an avid reader, right? It sounded like, wow, that would be a very romantic pathway. But up until uh, the last few months, you know, in my 77th year, I finally realized that I actually had something to write about. Before I would say, oh, I want to write a book on, you know, yada, yada. But what I would realize is, you know, there are already tons and tons of books 
written on whatever that was that I was thinking about at the time. Mostly it was how to do things, you know, how to books. So for the first time, uh, and it could have come out of a conversation with you, I don't really remember, but it occurred to me that I have the life experience of 77 years and I have seen all the changes, decades of changes. And I see it as being born at the right time in the right place. I was born into an environment of uh, life challenges, um, you know, broken home, poverty, uh, the all of the different things that were going on. The, the For me, it did occur for me as religious suppression, um, economic suppression. It, it was... Uh, for me, it was a, a very, very unpleasant uh, place to find myself, but I learned from it. I couldn't understand why people were, uh, you know, down on the black people. I remember I lived on a farm with my grandmother for a good part of my childhood. And there was a, a black family that actually traveled in a wagon, but you got to remember this was decades and decades ago. There were really people traveling in wagons pulled by mules. And to save themselves about a five mile hike around the road, they asked to cross our property, which would have been a straight line to where they lived and you know, made sense to me. And I remember my grandmother, uh, she was very begrudging about it, but she did allow them to cross our land. And then she started making very derogatory comments about the black people. Now, what I saw was how can First of all, I identified with the, you know, the not belonging. And because I, I had that experience, you know, the not feeling not, not belonging at, at school, at church, uh, you know, everywhere. So I actually had compassion for them. And I have never ever felt, uh, I, I never developed the bigotry that was so rampant in, in the South. And that's where I live. So it could have been other places in the world too. But um, even now, I have, and this is really terrible to, to admit to me, is I have family members that, that teach their children to use, to, uh, use the, uh, the N-word, referring to, you know, to Black people, too. What's, what's that word that I'm looking for, um, Matt, when you uh, talk? You're trying to get me to say the N-word, Liz, or what? No, 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 no. I'm not no. going to say the N-word on the We Maple video show. Come on. No, no, that's not what I'm asking you. I, I, I could have said the N-word if I wanted to. No, there's there's a way that we uh, we talk about gossip. Not It's more than gossip. It's a, what what is it when we're, oh, being prejudiced and bigot, bigoted. That's what I'm looking for. That, that was it. So that that never made any sense to, you know, the whole thing never made any sense to me. And then that's where the thing must have some of the the, the uh, religious uh, training I had must have kicked in because it was like, that doesn't sound right, you know, putting other people down or judging other people or whatever. So probably the, the part that really took out of my early religious upbringing was the Ten Commandments. So those made sense those were logical of course i don't even remember what all 10 of them were but anyway but but my point was i forgot what my point oh i was talking about writing my book um yeah this this being born at the you know at the right time in history to see all the changes over the decades and being born i was a first year baby boomer which is one of the largest groups of uh of, of people to come into the world at, you know, at a certain time. And baby boomers were pretty much a lot like me, uh, you know, bucking the system, committed to change. Um, yeah, that, that, that was, that was the, the world that I was born into. And you can see that so many, many uh, things have been accomplished by that generation. So many advances uh, in science, medicine, technology, um, social good so this but that generation's really really jumped on board but i got to be part of that group i got to you know i got to be part of that 
So that was really, really cool. Um, then let's see, I went through my own experience with uh, the equal rights um, movement, you might say, when I, I was probably, well, it was 1970, and I was a, a single mom with two kids, and I had a, a job as a telephone operator with the phone company, and then an opportunity came up to increase my, like double my salary and do something a lot more interesting than answer telephones, um, which was to uh, become what they called a uh, switching equipment technician. In other industries, it would be the equivalent of a, like a, a technical engineer. And so I put in uh, application for that, got it accepted. And I thought that I got accepted, that I was you know, capable. But when I got on the job, what I discovered pretty pretty soon was that the resentment of the, all the males that I worked with in that department, because I had been, in their world, I had been forced into an all-male job before. It had been traditionally, only, only men did that job. And, you know, here was me, this young upstart. So that was, uh, oh boy, and I could tell you stories about that. I'll put them in my book, by the way some of the jokes and the tricks that they played on me. Um, but it, it finally, it's, well, at first they did everything they could to kill me off and get rid of me. So I would quit. And I couldn't quit because I had a great job and I had two kids at home. So that, it wasn't, that wasn't an option. Plus I'm stubborn. And, but by the time I left the company 10 years later, they didn't want me to leave. I was, you know, part of the team and I was valued. But it was um, at some point I realized, okay, so what if you're the, well, I can't remember what that term was, something about, um, hmm. there, I'm, there was I'm going to talk about this racism for, for a second, because first, it's so interesting that within a hundred years, our whole, you know, and, and you've even brought up sort of, you know, women's, um, not women's rights, but like the way you were treated as a woman in the workforce, um, and and the the racial piece. Like I grew up in Eastern Canada. There, I remember there was one black kid in the school, and it was like it felt like the one black person in Nova Scotia. Like there, it was such a profound. Like when they would walk in, it's like whoa. Like not in a racism way, but in a you're so different and you're the only person I've ever seen that's black way like almost shocking like whoa a black person like it, but so w w there was no racism right? I didn't have any ill will but I definitely I had a reaction and that just was it was a not normal to be black in Nova Scotia it was like try and find a black person on a snowboard or swimming like they they're just not around certain things and they weren't in Nova Scotia um Anyways, when I moved to Alberta, it was our indigenous people that were um, criticized quite profoundly. You know, it was always like the drunk Indian at the skate park, at the skateboard park. Oh, watch out for the drunk Indians. And it's true. There's a pack of drunk Indians that would come to the skate park and throw bottles at us and try and fight us. And like they were rough and they were drunk and they were Indian. And that was normal language in high school watch out for the drunk indians and in in two decades we've gone now in canada you know our Ind indians are now aboriginal and then now indigenous and you know i have complete love and admiration and respect for their culture that was just the reality of being 14 years old at a skate park and frankly being scared because they were aggressive they these groups and so that framing, though, there, so that, you know, racism was alive and well, let's say, in Alberta against Indigenous, and maybe still is in some ways. But so um, I'm curious from, like, with what I've shared around that experience around the Indigenous, like, what was it like, 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 were, were Black people in, in where you grew up in the South, were they allowed in stores, were they allowed in church? What, like, what was that, what was that division like? And what was that, can you describe that experience? Well, my school was all white. When I graduated in 1964 from high school, it had been an all white high school, the whole, I mean, school system the whole time. And then after that, um, 
let's see, I forget um, the, the dates of when that began to change and the, they became, I forget which one, segregated or desegregated or whatever. In other words, they were allowed to attend the, the school. You know, everybody was allowed to attend the, the same school, no matter what race they were. And for me, that was like a really great thing, but I didn't know any better uh, when, when I was going to school because I just went to a white school. But there was, um, they were, the blacks in the South were very much, uh, Well, I guess a term would be like devalued as human beings. And I can, I can remember, you know, ex, ex, observing all of that for years and years and years. And there came a point in my life after I was an adult when it occurred to me that there would always be racism until the blacks stood up and said, okay, that's enough. What you're saying is not even true. Because at that point, it, it mostly occurred to life, lived life that whatever was said about them being uh, subhuman, um, they were, okay, let me put it a different way. Once I got the distinction victim <laughs> in 1979, when I did the DS training, what I saw was that that was a very comfortable place for people to be. And I know that sounds really like that would be a, be stupid to choose to choose to be a victim. But most of the time in our culture, we don't even know that we're a victim. We're just, you know, that's just the way it is. Um, that kind of thing. So it took for me, it took some uh, very intense uh, personal um, growth and development to get an insight into human being and to start digging my own way out from being in all the areas that I was a victim. But there was a point when I really did think, wow, you know, when you guys suddenly get that you're whole and complete, that you're perfect human beings, then it's going to shift the world. Now, it didn't exactly, you know, show up that way, but, you know, Martin Luther did his, uh, Martin Luther King did his thing, and, and people, it started to change. And there's still some now, but nothing, nothing like it was decades ago. And then and if you look at, okay, another group that was down was the, the gay and lesbian community, remember? And now it's like, who cares if somebody's gay or lesbian? It's, it's socially acceptable now. But that's the thing. It's, uh, different groups, different people, we evolve as human beings. And I think that we're going toward uh, something positive for all people. So it's, uh, did that, did that answer your question about the, the inequality of races and the bigotry and, and, um, you know, the racism? Absolutely. That... It's, it's one of those things that like, it's, it's, it's hard for me to imagine what it's like to, to be like that, like racist, you know, like I, I, I almost find it unbelievable that people within the last hundred years were that discriminatory or even what within the last 200 years, like bring people from over from Africa and force them to pick cotton and, and they went along with it that like, we got away with slavery. Like how many slaves do you have? 19. How many slaves do you have? Six. Oh, I'm trading this slave for that. Like that was normal commonplace. There's that movie, uh, Django Unchained, uh, produced uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio and directed by Quentin Tarantino. And there's a scene in that film where they arrive at uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character's home. And he's talking about a part of the brain in the medulla oblongata of, uh, of Blacks uh, that makes them docile. And he's describing it in such a uh, profound and interesting way, but also a very... Um, like almost a, a hatred and a disdain for that way. And almost a like, it's very, and like, that's a mainstream Hollywood Quentin Tarantino movie that is like really digging into that racism piece. And so, yeah, I just, I find it so interesting, the stretch of human beings that our capacity to be evil, our capacity to really hate another person based on their skin color. That's just like, it's hard for me to understand how someone could be so have no empathy, how someone could be so 
almost psycho psychopathic to think in that in that nature. Yeah, ab absolutely. I our our thing. Is, I think that you know we're wired up. You know to to survive as human beings, right? And anything that threatens us, then um, you know we react. And people do feel feel threatened. I don't feel as threatened by things as most people. I don't. I don't think I ever have. But um, yeah, that I'm glad that you brought up the the scientific part because that very much interests me. And one of the things that um, that's really going, you know, mainstream is you know the whole neuroscience uh, branch of. Uh, let's say education and how it is being okay let's look at okay so another thing that <laughs> that i'm very interested in and i got involved in 44 years ago was the human potential movement and that was the belief that inside of everyone that there is the opportunity for doing good for making a difference in the world and once you reach a certain level then what you'll do is just automatically go out and um contribute to other people in the world. It's kind of like our in, innate uh, way of being is wanting to make a difference. You know, the little two-year-old, I want to help, I want to help, that kind of thing. And it kind of gets uh, suppressed as we get older and we face uh, the challenges of life. And depending on how much, what kind of education we've had or what kind of lifestyle we've grown up in, molds us to be adults. So when I got involved in the uh, human potential movement, it's like, okay, I have found, I found my, pe my people, I found my tribe. Now, really, oh, <laughs> it's not like one tribe in one little city. It's like people all over the globe. And, and during travel, travels, you know, I pretty much don't meet a stranger, right? And I get into conversations when I travel with, you know, any and everybody. It's extraordinarily uh, satisfying experience, finding out about their lives, what's like for them living in Mexico or living in some remote part of Canada or, you know, wherever in the world they are. And so basically, and I think I, I went off, I went, uh, went off on a tangent somewhere. Um, you know, finding our tribe is so important you, you know we're tribal by nature and this idea of the human potential uh movement or just the idea of our potential of human beings in general you know this idea of our capacity to improve ourselves through study training practice you know we can we can reach that higher ability and develop um continue to develop our aptitudes and skills and when you when you mentioned that uh, that word tribe and tribal again a, a word that carries a lot of weight the same way like religion or religious carries weight like tribe and tribal it 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 has a lot of uh meat on the bone that word tribal and you you know you said around finding your tribe and you know people that are interested in their potential and interested in their growth and improving themselves like it's it's difficult or challenging to connect with people that aren't the people that are satisfied with the way that things are and that's okay like i've always been the kind of person that like the pursuit of personal growth has always been something inherently in me to want it and we've you know it could be driven because of childhood trauma it could be driven because of um addiction or everyone maybe has their motivation or reason and i could probably spend a whole day trying to dissect where that comes from but i'm particularly interested in other people who want that pursuit of their potential and, and aligning with them because that takes that takes a certain kind of person like how nuts was it to commit to the uh, training and development that we just completed a year-long program 20 hours a week roughly for a whole year like to go through that training and development you know this this is considered one of the most elite training and development programs on on the planet but like that's kind of nuts to have that in us, to want to make that commitment, especially you at 76, 77 years old when you signed up, like that's kind of a nuts thing to do. Yeah, not, not now that you mention it, yes, that that's true. 
Yeah, so um, this uh, this idea, uh, this um, you know, theme, this this um, spirit that's driving you to want to write a book, you know, in a in a manuscript, and you know, look into this uh, tendency that you or maybe the the framing would be uh, that there's a tendency to think of human potential. Uh, or in fact, every every maybe effort at their personal growth that's as linear, bottom line focused. How would you kind of view that human potential? Well, something that you said a little bit earlier had me think that you know everything is um, like it's in our genes to survive, and we we can. Um, I, I frequently say we can use our power for good or for evil. And for, <laughs> I choose the one for good rather than the evil because there's a lot of suffering there for you and for others. Um, but the, but this whole thing about the, the personal training and development and the human potential movement is when I got involved, I always like as a child growing up, you know, there's all kinds of stories there. But the point was I always felt there had to be something better. And you can even go back and say, okay, well, maybe that was something I took away from my uh, organized religion experience because it was it was literally preaching better, but it didn't necessarily fit into my ideals or whatever. So I held on to what fit into my ideals about life, about people being uh, loving and looking out for each other, and you know that that kind of thing. So when I got involved with the with the uh, human potential movement, although I didn't even know that that was what I was joining when I did the S training. It's just one of my friends at work said, boy, you want to do this. And so I don't know, there was something about, about that. And obviously I was searching for something. And he's, because the way that I was doing life was not really satisfying. And I still have this thing, there's got to be a better mousetrap, you know, there's got to be a better way of doing things. And I tried, you know, many different options and then when I got involved in that it's like aha I have finally found something or um, you know my tribe or whatever although that tribe came decades later as a thought but there was something that I saw of value there basically uh, what I liked about the the way that they trained was they never said you have to do it this way or that way. They said, here's some potential ways, choose. Now I can, now that fits my, uh, well, you know, my entrepreneurial spirit, you might say, that opportunity to choose to, uh, to but basically it's what it is. You, you're not being a victim of it. You're actually, you're choosing and then you're being uh, responsible for your choice. It's a, you know, there's more than one pathway to God kind of thing. And um, so for me, it was like, okay, this is really great. I participated with them for, for in the, the S programs for about, well, I don't know, five or six years, did all of the courses they had available at that time. And then uh, there weren't any more courses to do. So I said, oh, I think I'll just take what I've learned and go out in the world. And I did. I went away for like 12 years. And I came back because I remembered how much value I had gotten. I reached a place in my life where I was, eh, there was something missing. So I said, aha, well, I'll just review the S training. I found out it didn't even exist anymore. There was something now called the Landmark Forum. And so I got back involved uh, in about 19, what about 1990? Something like that. And I have been going nonstop since then except for uh for about eight years that i took out uh to for health reasons to recover from breast cancer and then somebody said woo covid and now we can do our programs online on zoom well boy that fit for me so like made it accessible for me because i still was not physically really able to travel i live 100 miles out in the desert from tucson very very isolated we have a nice little homestead and 
the, but the thing is that I get to participate again. So when you said, you know, it took courage to step in at 76 and get into a year long program, for me, it was like a gift. It was, first of all, you know, you guys are my tribe. When I am in conversation with you, the world is better. My world is better because when I go off into my head, you know, by myself, I tend to get into, uh, you know, I can get into negativity and no possibility and all of that. So I prefer to be in communication with other, other like-minded people. And when, when that occurs, then that empowers me to actually make a contribution to the world. I have the strength I have to, to achieve things that I would not be able to do alone. And this program that we're in, the, the uh, Landmark Team Management Leadership Program, for me is ideal. I like the idea of having the, the team and the teamwork and the year-long commitment. So I can, I don't know, there's just something about it's very, very rich. And I truly love it. And I will be starting my second year of team management leadership in a few weeks. And uh, so I'm actually have uh, put my hat in the ring to come back as the team, uh, team two team leader, my first quarter of the program. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to be back playing, uh, playing with team. And I really appreciate Matt that during this time that because you're in the program, going to be in the, in the program with me when we go back for you to hang out with me and keep in communication and for us to play our uh our business games and all the things that that we have done during this downtime i really do appreciate you so just know that it makes a difference well right um right back at you liz and um yeah i mean the structure of that program before all this COVID crap for 400 people to fly into a, you know, hotel or conference setting four times a year for the, you know, call it the three days quarterly meetings with the whole group in North America. Like that's insane. And, and the cost of the travel, like the whole logistics of doing this program prior to 2020, what it was just so tough. It was always interesting to me, but it just didn't seem workable it seemed completely unreasonable to to go on four trips a year and god knows where in north america new york la wherever they host houston um and so yeah when it was online it was a no-brainer what i didn't understand coming into the program was really that time commitment of of an overwhelming the time commitment but then an overwhelming confronting expectation of how to communicate how how the bar for communication and the bar for integrity is set so high in the program it's very confronting and and i yeah i resisted it a lot because it's like suddenly you're a part of six whatsapp groups you're in a slack group you're accountable to do certain things at a certain time be on time for every meeting if someone else isn't in the meeting text them call them like it just you know, the the work, you know, this ties back into human potential a little bit, but the work of transformation, the idea of like Eckhart Tolle talks about, like, you'll leave this as a transformed human being is going through that rigid rigor and vigor of that program, like really did make me a different person. And like the results that I'm generating in my business are, are profound. The structure for fulfillment that I have with my children and their creation of their little lives and their goals. You know, they are, they're on a spreadsheet at six typing in their weekly things they want to achieve and their milestone, like the whole structure for fulfillment that unfolded in this uh, work uh, has just like generated the most profound uh, results for me. And, and sounds like for you uh, as well. Um, so yeah, as we near, um, you know, and we'll, we'll do this again, Liz, um, as we kind of near uh, the end of this conversation, I think, you know, there's a few, I mean, we've touched on a lot of really incredible pieces, but the one big one is this idea that has been generated and co-created for the both of us, that both of us will pick a date 
this month in August to start our 100-day exercise to write a book and publish it on Amazon within 100 days by the end of the year. And so um, I'd like to invite you to uh, pick a day when you want to start between now and September 1st. And then we're going to call that our first day of our 100-day book uh, adventure. Okay. Um, without looking at the calendar and, and counting the 100 days, I think that uh, you you have you came up with the the thought that we could have accomplished this, and then we can make gifts of pe to people for Christmas of our books, as uh, you know, one of the 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 outcomes. So I'm looking at what maybe August the the middle of August. I'm not sure. We, we need to have 100 days. We need full 100 days. So Yeah, well, September, October, November there gives us 91 days. Uh, so if we go into the 10th of December, would be 100. Uh, if we started September the 1st, um, December 20, for some reason, stands out to me as an impressive day to launch. It's a Wednesday. Uh, and then that would lead into Christmas being the following Monday. And so if we announce the launch of the book on the 20th, that gives us the rest of August to plan and get our structure in place uh, and then begin the process uh, on around September 1st or the first week of September. So so if we set September the 1st as our start date, that's what you're, you're, uh, you're suggesting? Well, I mean, I'm fine with whatever you think. Um, sure. Well, yeah, if we reverse engineer, December 20 stands out to me. So let's, uh, without doing the exact math, it's sometime in that first week of December. And um, maybe in two or three weeks from now, let's do another episode of this. We'll check in. We'll describe our structure for fulfillment for the 100-day book launch. Uh, and then we'll, we'll have a firm date um, on our next meeting. How does that sound? Yeah, that sounds great. I have, um, yeah. What, this is very I, confronting for me too, Liz, because I have a book uh, as well. And so, you know, I'm going to go on this journey with you and write and complete my book uh, as well. Um, it's confronting though, because the accountability piece, it's like, oh, well, now I really have to do it. I've been sitting on this for nearly a decade, this this book. And it's like, now I'm I have to do it now. And that's confronting. Can I ask you a couple questions about your book? Yeah. What? Okay, I've read part of your, you know, the manuscript, the the, um, yeah, whatever, what what you had put together that you shared with me, and I read that, and you know, you are, you're an excellent storyteller. So just you know, just saying that. But what had you want to write the book to begin with? Because you said it's been in the works for a decade. Well, I was serving a six-month prison sentence for uh, impaired driving causing bodily harm. I flipped my car nine times and my friend broke his arm in Canada. Oh, wow. It's a very serious charge. And so um, I I used the writing and the outlet of, I'm going to write 50,000 words. You know, I calculated how many words were on each white piece, piece of paper. And then every single day, dedicated a certain amount of time to make sure I got the word count to get a book and and at my in my mind at that time uh about the length of fear and loathing in las vegas by hunter s thompson and so i just i had a prison sentence and a goal and so i hand wrote the first version of the book and they you know i was able to take that with me when i when i was released from my sentence and then uh had someone transcribe it write it into a document and then it's gone through three rounds of edits with different editors and, I, and I've been having a hard time getting my, um, like, it's just not what I exactly want. It's close. And so that's where I see a real opportunity with artificial intelligence. Um, you know, this, this first form of inorganic life, let's say in 4 billion years that earth has existed, if we take the case that that's even true, but let's take the science case that that's how long we've been here. It seems highly unlikely that we're the only life form in the universe based on that. But, you know, there's this natural fear around AI. Um, it's been present for a while, uh, especially in films uh, like 
uh, iRobot, Matrix, Terminator, you know, this idea of AI becoming sentient and somehow adapting into the physical world. Uh, the, the, you know, currently there's not any uh, evidence that AI has consciousness or feelings, um, but it's a tool, you know, that if, if prompted, this can uh, generate some really powerful, compelling results and bend time which is extremely important in this idea of getting a book out and done and get it on Amazon and maybe 19 people read it, but it, becoming a published author is now in anyone's grasp through this structure that we're going to create. And so, you know, I'm, I've written 70,000 words by hand and I'm going to use the tool to get that extra little piece that I feel that the book is missing. And I'm going to use chat GPT to uh, fulfill on the, on the completion um, so yeah, that, that's a long-winded answer of, of why I wrote the book, but initially it was just to, it was to deal with being locked in a, in a cell, you know, initially this cell is, um, call it 10 feet by six feet ish with a bunk bed and a toilet and a sink, small desk and another inmate. And you're, you're in there 23 hours of the day. The only time out we had was to get trays up, trays up. I mean, they kick the door down and you kick the door and you go get your breakfast, lunch and dinner. And then you get a, you get a small time in the yard, but you're in that room for 23 hours. So, uh, Can I ask you for, for a moment, because yeah. you, you, you've said some absolutely brilliant stuff here. So are you going to include in, I mean, I've read your book, but the, the story that you're telling right now about how it came to be for me that is that's rich very very rich it's very uh very engaging it's like okay that you know that's part of the story that's how it got started you know it's like okay looking back at my childhood that's how things got started through like you know my story and i see that you have um wow because i know you and i know that you you are a very uh intelligent, inquisitive, compassionate human being, and that you are, you know, you have a good, good heart, that I suspect that one of the reasons, and I, this whole thing of saying I'm writing a book, I like the idea of saying I'm telling a story. <laughs> um, but telling your story about your encounters in life and how the impact that that has had, in, and I don't know, I'm not trying to tell you how to write your book, I'm just saying, from what you've said so far, I just find this very interesting and very intriguing. It's like, okay, you had, you know, you uh, you took responsibility for the choices you had made. Now you have a new, uh, you turned over a new leaf. Here you are out in the world. You're a, a you know, successful businessman. You're an extraordinary friend. You're an outstanding father. And particularly this whole father thing back in my childhood, fathers were not hands-on. Not as a, not as a rule, but what I'm noticing now is how you fathers are all hands on. Even if, you know if you're you know a uh, single dad or you're in a relationship with uh, you know with the mother and everything on a day to day basis, the point is that you are a hands on dad, and I think that is extraordinary uh, growth and uh, development for human being, and that's just one of the tiny thing you might say uh that has changed over the decades that i have observed life and for me it's very significant it would have been cool to have a father and uh and i didn't and uh so yeah so i noticed that and i acknowledge you for that so if you are um hmm, i'm sorry if i went down a rabbit hole no way you went on my favorite topic me <laughs> oh, okay. the best well, part of the whole video show you talking about me and complimenting me wow well, that's such a generous acknowledgement and i uh i'm well, touched today liz thank you well i mean i i only say whatever you know is there for me i'm not trying to get on your good side or anything uh i'm not sucking up to you that's what i'm trying to say but i do have another there was another observation i watched the previous uh we maple uh shows that um you put on youtube and well, let's see, at least uh, two or three of them. It was like, wow, who is that guy? You were so engaged in 
uh, being the, you know, the interviewer, the presenter or whatever, it was like, I was really like, wow. And, and it was like, wow, who is this babe? So, you know, don't let that go to your head or anything. But I think there are other women that would have had the same reaction. And I know that I'm old enough to be your grandmother. So I'm not trying to do the cougar thing either. Well, if you know any uh, young single ladies that want to be a stepmom to three wonderful kids and support me in my life, I, throw them I'm sure that tons of them out there. Um, that's so, so loving. And, and uh, thanks. You know, the, the first three episodes were, were, I found very tough. You know, I, I am so learning how to set these things up powerfully because I want the guest, in this case, you, I want you to be self-expressed, you to be powerful and, and compelling and, and guest. And so learning how to generate that space that creates that curious, inquisitive, fun and playful, something interesting that people are going to watch. Like, you know, there's certain hosts and podcast shows that like I'll listen to for two and a half hours because the host is good. And the guest is interesting. And so that's really what we're looking to generate here with the We Maple video show is um, create a space for that to, to, to come out, to that to show up and um, for people to walk away with, you know, I learned something, I laughed, that was interesting. Wow. And, and now I'm also want to follow this person. And so with your case, with your book, I think you have such an interesting story of, you know, I'm late in life, I'm in my you know, it's the fourth quarter. I'm entering the fourth quarter here. Um, I have a book in me. I have a story I want to tell. I got something to say. And I think that that's incredibly powerful for someone. And, and, and they're not in a place of like ageism or something, but like really like that takes something at 77 to be like, I'm going to get a book on Amazon this year. Like, I'm, so I'm, I'm astounded by that. Um, like that drive that you still have at this point in your life, Liz, to to do that. And so, uh, if we can walk on this journey together, to me, that's that's fun. Like I find that exciting. And um, you know, from the viewers' perspective, those that do watch this, they're going to see it unfold in real time. I'm sure it's not. This is going to be the easiest thing in the world. I've never done this either. So, um, you know, for those out there that are watching, stay tuned. You're going to see. Liz and Matt write a book and get it published on Amazon within a hundred days. And that's pretty damn cool. And making it up as we go, because we don't know how that's why we decided that we were going to create an interactive writing and publishing a program for the novice. Yeah. Choose, so, experience so of your, choose your own experience of the experience of writing a book, a visual audio written word, uh, this this website and this tool is going to be fun and interactive and um, it will generate the result. You want to book in 100 days, you're going to get it by participating in our program. And, you know, that's what we're building. So, yeah, with that, Liz, do you have any kind of closing thoughts or anything before we uh, begin to wrap up here? Well, I know that you're going to be editing this, so hopefully you'll put, you know, edit it, making me look good. Uh, <laughs> I write better then I, I public speak because I don't know, there's something, um, there's something about that. I can gather my thoughts better when I write. Um, but I think that in, for me, because I've never done an interview before, not like this anyway. Um, it might be, uh, for me, I would like to kind of have like what we're the different subjects that we might be uh, talking about that kind of thing if that makes sense to you yeah for sure yeah we'll do we'll we'll do another one of these when we launch and uh be, we can you know, continue with our weekly structure to get set up powerfully and you know let's just stand in that future fulfilled december 20 it's on amazon click it download here and it's going to get to our family and friends on it for christmas Perfect. Well, I, I really do. Um, thank you for your partnership. And this is a, this is an extremely fun project. It's not something I had ever, I, I didn't really have any thoughts until you and I got into conversation about really writing a book. You have been a huge, huge, uh, 
support for me in my being fully self-expressed, being out there. It really does make a difference when you have people that listen you powerfully, listen you bigger than you listen yourself. And so I, I really thank that. Thank you for that. You're one of my, uh, you're, you're one of my tribe. You're my medicine man in my tribe. Well, thank you, Liz. And uh, same way, you know, <laughs> there's some selfishness on my end for this process because like, I want to get this, I got to get this thing done. Even just to say, I got it published on Amazon. I'm a published author. Like I want that as a, arrogant uh selfish outcome for me so helping you is forcing me so yeah right back at you everything you said liz i it's self-generated co-created it's gonna be fun um yeah so look forward to talking to you again soon god bless you thank you bye bye matt